Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this episode brings you part two of my recent interview with good friend Mike Roselli. Mike is a Chicago-based attorney, a sports betting startup consultant and advisor. He's the former chief compliance and legal officer at PlayUp USA, and also the creator and host of the Doggy Juice podcast. In this episode, we dig into Mike's recent evolution as a better, including a pivot from a bottom-up to a top-down betting approach. We also talk about legal considerations you may want to account for if you're exploring betting partnerships across state lines or crypto transactions in the offshore market. We then talk about the Doggy Juice podcast and what Mike has in store for his audience. And of course, we weave in the hops going coast-to-coast across the U.S., and even going global with a beer that Mike has to shout out from his recent honeymoon in Greece. If you happen to miss part one of the conversation with Mike, it's the most recent episode before this one in your Props and Hops podcast feed. We covered a lot of good ground on legalization, including updates in responsible gaming, Mike's biggest recent developments and most anticipated future developments in the space, including the state of the big three states without approved legislation and Mike's predictions as far as what's on tap for California, Texas, and Florida. And we also discussed what Mike has learned from recently resigning from a big job with a U.S. operator and shifting to some consulting roles with sports betting startups and applying his legal expertise in that space. So a lot of value to be found in part one if you haven't caught it yet. But for now, enjoy part two of my recent interview with Mike Roselli. Let's dig in a bit farther to being price sensitive and growing as a better. I want to really focus now on your betting process because it sounds like there's been quite the evolution recently. You touched on it a bit in your latest episode of the Doggy Juice podcast. You talked about the magnified importance from your standpoint of getting down, preserving outs, growing your network. How would you describe your personal experience as a better over the course of the last year and how it's really evolved during that time? Yeah, so I've changed things a bit. So like, but before I was with PlayUp, um, I, I originated college hoops, and like that was my my bread and butter, um, especially like totals and smaller conferences, is especially early in the year is my favorite market to bet. And I'm not alone there. I think if you if you pulled like you know seven or eight you know professional or semi professional betters, they would do call college hoops totals their their favorite markets like, that are widely available. Of course, there's you know, there's select smaller markets like you know tennis matchups, but the issue there's all you know your limits, your betting limits, and you know all that. But um so I yeah, I, I was originated college hoops and then I it, not probably not like fully original, but I definitely made my own numbers in college football and NFL pre play up. So that was you know that the bottom up approach of doing things. And I was always, you know, aware of the top down approach and and you know following you know finding the best, you know, basically like looking at the pinnacle price. And if, if another book is a couple points off or slow to move, you know, essentially glorified steam chasing in a way. But um, I always was, you know, doing that in, in some level, but I was really focusing more on the, the bottom up. And it's, it's very time consuming, as you know, especially when you're, you know, you're grading games and going through and, and adjusting models and, and your numbers, like on a, on a daily basis. I and mean, it takes a lot of time to do that, especially if you're, you know, if you want to do it seriously, but since I left, you know, since I joined PlayUp, I was still betting, but I had to completely shelve all of that. And then when I when I resigned from PlayUp last March, you know, I you know I dusted off the old models and like you know did some updates and started you know reading through the books and getting you know getting my work getting the books and all the stuff together for the upcoming football season and even college basketball season. And and I just found myself, you know, really being gravitated more towards 
the top down approach. And really um, just because like we, we are in this unique time right now, you know, where there's just more opportunities, more, more, books out there um just literally more outs um more more opportunities to take advantage of certain markets than we've ever had before i mean the promos have come down a bit but um with that in mind and having more books available and more importantly the tools that i mentioned before you know to uh to actually like to find you know have that source of truth as, as captain jack likes to call it you know you're if a certain book is known for being sharp at a certain market you know like pinnacle for nfl so to speak you know it if you have that source of truth and you have like a screen where you can I mean, obviously now you've got spank odds out there unabated and, and, um, and, and you have a way to, you know, see that the line moves in real time and you're able to have these outs and you're like, Oh shit, you know, it's this book's, you know, two points off and firing on that. And, and when you're, when it's off from your source of truth, it's just, it's a, it's a way different way of betting. It's something that, you know, I think a lot of people can just put in their arsenal right away. Honestly. I mean, you, you know, it's the one thing people can always do to, to stack the deck in their favors, have multiple outs. Obviously the issue becomes keeping those outs. And that, you know, unfortunately in my case, I'm not able to get down at most of the books here in Illinois anymore, but you still find ways. And that's kind of been, you know, it's always the battle as a compliance guy and, you know, proxy betting and the issues that come with that going from that side of the counter. And then, you know, now trying to develop a network where, you know, not necessarily people getting down or, or anything like that, but at least finding more sources of truth and more, sources of information and growing that network, I think has been probably the thing I've enjoyed the most over the past eight or nine months. And, and it's really taken my betting to the next level. Um, and so really I'm, I'm trying, I, I haven't done much bottom up. I have, you know, I have my numbers, but I have nowhere near the same confidence in them um, as I did you know, a couple of years ago, but I don't think I need to at this stage, to be honest with you, you know, and I moving forward, maybe I will get back into, to, uh, you know, really spending the time, especially in college hoops, maybe early in the year, but I mean, at this point, I feel like it's it's even probably more profitable to to do the top down and and um, and just play the market on a daily basis and get in a in a bit of a routine. I think that's also that goes with like being able to adapt as a better. And that's as we know, and as Dave Malinsky, the late great Dave Malinsky, always preached, you have to always, you know, there, once you get settled on one thing, you you're just gonna eventually the market's gonna catch up, and you have to always be thinking outside the box and finding. Uh, being willing to find new edges. So that's something I've enjoyed doing and feel like there's a lot of little, there's a lot more holes to, or a lot of rocks to look under to use that analogy than, than there ever has been. Um, especially in some of these States where you get like 25 sports books and, you know, a lot more ways to get down. Yeah. I mean, even in California with zero legal sports books, I can't help but think as you talk about having a source of truth to the Sunday of the divisional round, when the, Bengals bills game wrapped up because the chiefs had beaten the Jags the prior day. Mahomes had gotten injured. We didn't know about his ankle. Cincinnati looked great against Buffalo. And there was so much unknown between the lines just opening for the AFC title game. Mahomes injury. I wasn't in a spot to say that I knew better than anybody else on how all this would play out, but I had my books open in front of me. And one of my sharpest offshores, if not my very sharpest offshore account, had Pickham posted, and one of my more recreational offshore accounts had Cincinnati plus three available. So that just told me right away, without thinking, hey, just bet the Bengals plus three, and I was able to bet it, and then actually ended up rebetting it a little bit. Not something I typically do, but Pickham to three from a sharp book to a square book is about as extreme as it gets when you're talking yeah. about having a source of truth as a reference point. And while the bet didn't win, it pushed. And it's so funny because I had a good friend over at my house watching that Bengals-Bills game, but he liked to go through the exercise 
a little bit later on to guess the opener and you know, he wasn't yeah. going to bet the real opener. He wanted to guess the opening line and give it time after the fact. He ended up betting the Bengals when they were laying a point. So it's that classic case of if you have a source of truth, if you're willing to be on the ball, it right. doesn't sound glamorous, but turning a loss into a push is one of the best things you can do. That's that's perhaps the best in terms of turning a loss into a push versus a push into a win. A, a loss into a push saves you even more because you're saving yourself that big. That's one of the best things you can do by having a reliable source of truth. Is there any example, maybe not that extreme, but any example like that over the course of these past nine months or so where you didn't have your handicapping totally buttoned up, but you just knew by having that source of truth how to make a bet in almost no time, just a split second instinctive decision. Yes. Oh, and the Super Bowl. So, like, I mean, it's all about asymmetric risk, right? I mean, and, and this, I think this ties perfectly into that. Like, the Super Bowl opener, obviously, Circa and a few other, you know, the, the market making books, they opened two, I think it was two and a half Chiefs. And you saw that money flood in on the Eagles pretty quickly that night. You know, the, it was the championship Sunday that night when all the lines came out quickly moved. And then you saw, I was able to gobble up some Chiefs money line plus 120, plus 115 just after that, that move. And just with the notion of, okay, this is obviously a factor. I mean, Mahomes injury is one thing. Yeah. And this is factoring in like almost like the, the like Mahomes being a little bit more injured than you'd think, but it's, you know, the line's not going to move like, and it's kind of goes like the whole never take two and a half points with asymmetric risk. Cause the risk of losing, you know, losing the chance to get up to three and then it coming down to two I and mean, it's worth waiting for it to possibly go up to three. It was kind of the same reasoning there um, in the sense that, but, I guess the difference is like Mahomes was was kind of the reason for that line move, you think, and and his health. So there's there's no world where that line was going to close three Eagles unless Mahomes was like, I mean, unless something something major happened. I mean, obviously, if he was out, it would have probably ticked to seven, but like, um, maybe even higher. But like, or you know, outside of like a crazy circumstance, that line was never going to three. And if it if it did, even for a split second, it would have been popped back by the pros. So like, knowing to get down at that plus one twenty on the on the money line on the Chiefs at that point, I think was. It was like, how's it going to get better than this outside of something unforeseen? And sure enough, you know, it ended up ticking back a little bit at that point. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of examples of that where you, you know, you see some books move. I guess that's less of a, a book move in a certain way and more just the asymmetric risk angle. But um, I mean, like tonight, we're talking on a Wednesday. I know that like Wofford, uh, they're playing tonight. And last night when the lines open, one of the books was slow to move. And, um, you know, Chris, that Chris uh, offshore, like they're, they're at, you know, seven and a half, eight and a half. I think they closed nine and a half on that game, maybe nine. But there was a slow moving U.S. book that was at six and a half when Chris was at, you know, had moved up to eight, seven and a half. So just taking little moves like that, you know, it's you're, you're going to win in the long term doing doing moves like that. There we go. And if Spanky were listening to this conversation, I feel like we might have put him to sleep by talking about the Super Bowl, the conference championship weekend. That's such an efficient market. But throw Wofford out there, and I think you've got his attention. That that's <laughs> right at his alley. That is probably the chief use case for something like Spank Odds. And if we're talking about examples of how this helps you make a Super Bowl bet or how this helped me make a conference championship bet, we're talking NFL full game point spreads or money lines. I mean, just imagine all the other opportunities in way less efficient markets where you can yeah. still get down a decent amount. So I, I think that's a really valuable takeaway. Yeah, and player props too. I mean, obviously the issue always becomes once you get good enough, preserving the out and then the limits. But you know, if you're able to get to that point, that's where the, you know, the art of sports betting comes in. And that's, you know, the getting the information, be able to get down and, and even the art of like trying to, you know, throw, throw in a parlay here, a negative EV play here or there to try and keep the book, uh, 
honest, so to speak. I mean, at the same time, I know what it's like to be on that side on the sports book and profiling players and because uh, it's something that I oversaw play up. And um, it's, you know, it, it, you're, you're only going to go so long. Everyone's longevity. If you're good enough, your longevity at, at, at most books, of course, there's a special place in my heart for, for the books that want to do it the other way, you know, the circle model. Um, I'm a huge believer in that in the long term. Um, so I, you know, but th that's where the art comes in a lot. And, you know, players, you have to be able to do that and adapt because that's the way the environment is right now. Hopefully we get to a point where I don't have to worry as much about that. And hopefully the exchanges play a big role in that. But, you know, right now that's the game we're playing. I'm really curious about that point you addressed from your time at PlayUp, seeing what it's like when a regulated operator is profiling players some yeah. people would say, hey, yeah, throw them off the scent, try to keep books honest, and that's the best thing you can do for your longevity. Other bettors on the other side of the spectrum might argue, hey, this is only a finite amount of time that this opportunity is going to be here anyway. I'm just going to make hay while the sun shines. So from yeah. your perspective, from your experience at PlayUp, what do you think might be an optimal way for bettors to approach it if they're running into the issue of limits? But um, is it something that's inevitable and, and they might as well just do what they can while they can, or, or is there anything that you saw people doing at play up that might indicate, yeah, tapping into that art might actually increase longevity. Yeah. It's, it's because like play up where obviously like uh, it wasn't as big of a book. So it was easier to see some of the action come in, you know, especially like some of our bigger bets made up, I think like, without giving away too much, a very small amount of people made up a lot of the volume early on. Um, mm -hmm. So it's maybe not the best example, but every, you know, every, risk and trading team has its own process and in terms of, you know, quote unquote stake factoring someone and, and, and limiting the amount they can bet. Um, a lot goes into that. You know, maybe, maybe the CLV they're getting over time. I think any company that's looking at uh, especially short-term ROI is, uh, is foolish going that route, but, you know, maybe you look at longer term ROI as part of that equation. Everyone has a different equation they look at. And, you know, in some books, I'm sure, you know, taking art to that too, they have, you know, someone looking at, you know, looking at accounts and reviewing accounts and, you know, every, I know like the bigger books your account counts are reviewed over time. And um, so like, you know, it, it really depends. I, I think on mine, if I was someone that was trying to preserve an out, which is something I do try to do, I feel like if you're betting into, you know, if you're, you're betting into like straight sides and like those bigger markets more, um, obviously it's easier to get down uh, higher limits on those markets too. That's probably the, you know, the strongest way. If you're getting, if you're, if you're just betting like a, you know, the Wofford minus six and a half when the, the consensus is eight and a half, um, you, you're only doing stuff like that. Your, your, your time is, is a lot more limited, but if you're doing that while you're throwing in straight bets, you know, maybe some of your bottom up approach and you're maybe attacking openers. I think a big part of it probably is the time you bet too. you know, if you're betting closer to kickoff or tip off, you know, inherently it's going to have, you know, from the probabilities favor, you're not going to have as much of an edge at that point. Um, so I think that that could help you out too. I've always told people, you know, it's, you know, just betting parlays, you know, if you're not going to be, um, it's, you know, you don't want to do that all the you know, all the time, but um, that's certainly a way to, to throw the books off, but obviously you have to be careful doing something like that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to like, you know, throw 30 college hoops plays in on a Tuesday and, and then squander it all with like a parlay on Wednesday or something like that. But, you know, you mix things in here or there. Um, and I, you know, but I've, in my experience, I've, you know, if you do get the CLV early on, but have bad short-term variants, in a lot of cases, you're still going to be betting at that place at that book. So, yeah, really funny to hear it. you mention. Oh, sorry, go ahead, finish that no, thought. No, just a book by book thing. Understood there, and it's funny to hear you mention parlays a couple of times. Uh, there's a certain podcaster who I've heard refer to parlays as the p word. The so, p word, right? I shouldn't have. 
should have over time has not evolved. <laughs> yeah, th- maybe maybe thanks to the logic of sports betting, it's still not something to do all the time. But has your own opinion shifted a little bit on how to use that as a resource versus seeing it purely as a vice? No, yeah, I, I have. Like, and I, I feel like once you get in the gr- in the realm of absolutes, like I've I've been down that path early on. You know, even a few years ago, where I thought I had this thing really figured out. Um, you know, you got to be careful speaking in absolutes in this game, you know, especially when it comes to parlays, because there's absolutely circumstances where you do parlays. I mean, you know all about correlated parlays. I'm sure most books won't let you get down on some of those, but some do. If you can find a book that'll you know, let you take, you know, plus 20 with uh, under 40, um, obviously it's a no brainer or, or the converse of that. But like it's, um, you know, it's it's always an art. There, there's, of course, other ways to get down if you if you have a total off market price on, on another market and you can't get down anymore because you hit the limits dragging that into parlays is you know that's a surefire way to get uh, get noticed fast but it's a way to to utilize parlays to your edge so or to your advantage so it's uh yeah i feel like there, there's no there's no wrong way to skin the cat in this game there's certainly uh well i mean within reason <laughs> there's there's no there, there's multiple ways to win we'll put it that way I really appreciate all this insight on how your process has evolved when we think of shifting from a bottom down, excuse me, a bottom up to a top down approach. Also preserving accounts, maybe rethinking your stance on certain things like parlays, no absolutes necessarily. And I'm trying to put myself in the position of somebody who might be listening to this in a regulated market. And let's say they've been improving for a while and maybe they're getting to the point where they'll need to start thinking about how to circumvent limits and and take that next step in their own evolution as a better. For somebody who's up and coming, starting to run into limits for the first time, wondering what to do next, what would your top advice be for somebody in that position? Get more outs. I think it would be the first thing. If you're if you're worried about you know your limits and running up against limits, it's a good problem to have. If it, hopefully it means you're winning. You're not just betting too much, but if you're showing over time, I think the, the big thing I would say to them is pump your brakes a little bit. Cause if you're winning short term, you, you know, it's, you know, that, that obviously it's a good indicator and that's great, but you know, maybe let it, let it play out a little bit more. Obviously if you're getting like shit ton of CLV, uh, uh, that's a whole nother story. Maybe if you're going bottom up, but if you're trying to go at it top down and, you know, just trying to take advantage of mispricings in the market, or even you get a piece of information that's valuable uh, before the market as a whole moves, I think just the, the, really the best way to go about it is just to make sure you get more outs. And if you're limited and you have signed up at every book, um, you know, that's where you, that's where you look at, you know, potentially looking to partner with someone else, but that's uh, then you're venturing into going against the terms and conditions of the sports book you're working at. And you know, I've been on that side of the counter and obviously that's incredibly hard if not next to impossible to enforce, but at the same time, you know, anti-money laundering considerations and other, you know, again, the, the playground we're in and uh, those are considerations for, for the operator and, and uh, they, it's their job to, to curb that. And uh, uh, so it's always something to be mindful of. You know, uh, there's just so many, um, it's a big interworking world, the sports betting thing that we're living in the U S here. And there's, there's a lot of different moving parts and being mindful of those, I think is probably the best thing anyone could do. So if I'm someone, you know, sitting in those shoes, I'm just getting as many outs as I can. And if you're getting to the point where you're, you know, you're, you're getting down as much as you can and you're winning over time, then perhaps maybe you want to move to Ohio or something like that, perhaps for, where, where they're going to have so many more uh, books at your disposal or you know, state like Colorado or New Jersey, or make some connections, go to Bet Bash uh, in, in August and meet some people that, uh, that can help you get down. There we go. Well, that answer makes me think that while I was confident, the first part of this conversation covered all the ground we needed to from a legalization standpoint, 
I was listening to a recent podcast by Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball, and he's done a lot of other fascinating work as well. And he was talking to somebody about the notion that Bitcoin, which is very prevalent for offshore betters, Bitcoin used to be thought of as kind of something that might be untraceable or totally anonymous. And they really lifted the veil on that concept. So from somebody with your legal background, if, you know, if people are thinking they can just be fast and loose with Bitcoin or, you know, make, you know, Venmo exchanges with people across state lines, it all comes down probably to any individual's risk tolerance, but thinking of, you know, plausible legal ramifications of all of this with your unique experience as both a better and somebody with a lot of visibility into the other side of the counter, um, what kind of guardrails would you recommend that people establish when they're considering going down those kinds of paths? That's a really good question because like there's, this is all new here in the U S and like there's federal and state considerations depending on, on where you live too. And, you know, I'm not one to tell people to be you know, doing things across state lines and stuff. And especially at scale, like that's, you know, uh, then you're venturing into, you know, some, some gray area and even potentially uh, worse. So um, honestly, like, I, I think the best thing you could, you could do is stay abreast of the law and those, you know, those uh, any restrictions or limitations that are out there. Um, obviously hire it, like do, do your taxes, hire a tax consultant, but, you know, use those resources that are out there. I mean, I'm not getting paid to endorse it, but Captain Jack's done, done some good uh, YouTube videos on, on some of this stuff in terms of, you know, how to, how to go about, how to go about some of this stuff, especially on the tax side. But yeah, it's, it, it really is an important thing because there's a lot of States that are changing the rules on the fly too. I mean, that's the other, and, and even at a federal level, you're, you're, you're seeing some, uh, some changes that are taking place and, and especially with the tech, I mean, it's all tied in together, uh, one and the same. So, yeah, I think the best, there's no, no easy way to answer that question, but I think the best way is just to keep, keep your eyes and ears open and educate yourself at all times and, you know, consult your attorney too, if you need to. <laughs> well, that is a perfect transition to the doggy juice pod, keeping your ears open, consulting your attorney. <laughs> there we go. One stop yeah, shop a- courtesy. <laughs> of Mike Rizzelli and the Doggy Juice podcast. Mike, you brought the show back from a hiatus on Super Bowl weekend, and it was so awesome to hear your first episode back, wondering what you could share moving forward when it comes to the show schedule, what listeners can expect. What do you have in store with the Doggy Juice pod? Yeah, so I, I had an inkling. I, I knew I was always going to bring it back. I mean, I started Doggy Juice pod in um, September 2018, so there's a few months after Passport was overturned just with the goal of uh, really a, a dual goal, wearing both hats as a better, but also as like a compliance legal guy in the space, uh, educating uh, listeners on the latest updates in state-by-state legalization, the rules and regulations in that state, while also teaching them how to you know, become a sharper sports better. A lot of the, the stuff that we've learned over the years from, from Dave Malinsky and other people in the space, um, you know, just concepts on how to, you know, the pr- price is king and, and just general tenants, things like that. Um, so I really enjoyed doing it for a few years. Again, slowed down when I joined Play Up and dove all into that, and then I, you know, I, I kind of just paused it. it. Just didn't feel right. I just got involved with some other things. Obviously, got married last summer, but I always knew I wanted to do it again um, and, and bring it back. But I've also been thinking, like, when I do bring it back, how do I want to bring it back? And my goal now that I've brought, you know, the, the new episode for the Super Bowl back, and now that I'm looking to do more, is really to marry. And this is a challenge. But but to to be entertaining while still providing the same educational content and, and uh, you know resources and and I guess uh, you know insights on, on how to do things as a better uh, that's difficult to, to obviously to be entertaining while doing that stuff I know it's something that um, that 
you, it's always a consideration for you. I think you've done a great job with that too. So I'm, I'm trying to also make the, the episodes a bit shorter. I think if they're more, um, if they're, you know, easily digestible, everyone loves to listen to a podcast. It's 15 or 20 minutes. That's going to get a few good points across. Um, obviously I'll be talking about some markets and maybe opportunities that I see there, but I think a lot of it, um, they would love to do like evergreen stuff, bring on some people I've met, um, in my time, you know, just in the industry, you know, from, from all sides, you know, maybe even regulators, lawmakers, if they're willing to come on, but people in the space that I've met that are really sharp minds and can provide good perspectives. Um, fortunately I brought a lot of those people on already, including yourself. Um, but I, I really want to get, take it to the point where it's, it's a little more entertaining and maybe it's like, uh, I don't mean like a, a bar stool meets I and mean, I'm not a bar. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not a, a bar stool guy by any means, but from the entertainment entertainment standpoint, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe a bar stool meets whatever insert your, you know, maybe, maybe even like your podcast bar stool meets, meets the old doggy juice podcast. So something that's, that's entertaining, but also providing valuable content. That's, that's also uh, aligned with responsible gaming. So I guess anti bar stool, but entertaining, <laughs> entertaining people. Well, point taken on shorter, more digestible episodes as we are currently uh, a little more than 50 minutes into this conversation. Safe to say this will be part two of the conversation that people are hearing in podcast form. But bigger picture, I I like that point of trying to toe the line between information and entertainment value. And uh, I will be the first to admit this show probably skews way more heavily toward the informative side. And I hope there's a lot of value there because I, I know that I'm not a comedian by any stretch and don't bring, you know, the most of that kind of spark to the table. But yeah, if people are listening to your show. You want them to be entertained to at least some extent as well. So what's it like for you as you start to think about the future of your show, maybe grapple in a healthy way with how to approach it, being informative, being entertaining, while also maintaining yeah. your authenticity every step of the way? Yeah, it's a challenge. And I honestly, I, I haven't figured out the perfect way to do it. I'm always open to, um, to, you know, to insight on how that could be done and feedback and everything like that. I mean, I've tried to bring that entertainment value, but I think a lot of it's just really um, keeping, keeping things light a little bit more. I always found myself being a little more serious sounding. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, this is, I mean, we, I always felt that my podcast was more informational for sure. And I was fine being that way, especially wearing the legal compliance hat. You don't want like your legal compliance guy to be like, you know, shout, you know, sounding like a barstool podcast or, or, or one of those talking heads over there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard challenge. I think that on my end, just keeping things lighter, maybe some funnier sound bites help too. Uh, just some funny audio clips, but yeah, might, might mix it up with some random things, throw people off a little bit, you know, just kind of, I, I guess the best way is to just not be predictable. Maybe that's now that I really think it out and, uh, you know, who knows what that'll look like, but I think at, at the end of the day, like I, I want to be able to have, have it come to the point where people are excited to, you know, they see that there's a new episode coming out. They know they can listen to it, you know, in pretty quick order and get something new from it while, while being entertained. That's the goal. Yeah. And you definitely have some good sound bites in your arsenal. So <laughs> I'll always be looking forward to those. And I, while I think I've said on this show several times over the years that Barstool is not something that I consume with any sort of regularity. I think that there's plenty that I could learn from them. And there's a lot that they do well when it comes to building a sense of community and really entertaining people. So I don't want to come across as, oh, this is a different show and there's no space for that. I think that perhaps I could do more along those lines. And I think it's cool to acknowledge that 
you're exploring that it, it doesn't have to be you know dry just because it's trying to be informative at the same time right and, and just getting in the door with those people i think that was more of the, what i really meant to say is like getting in the door with people that would listen to barstool there's a lot of untapped people there and i've sat in those shoes where like i've been betting and i want you know early on in college starting to bet and I wish that I had like a, I wish I came across Dave Malinsky earlier. I wish I had a props and hops podcast to listen to when I was in college or, you know, or even like just, you know, even when I was in law school, it would have been great. It would have changed everything for me earlier. Um, but like, so I know it's like to be in those shoes and reach some of these people. I think I, you know, to bring things full circle to, I guess, part one. But when I mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of college kids, there's new college kids every year. And that's you know, from a responsible gaming standpoint, you know, they're, they're very much at risk and, especially when you have operators coming at them with irresponsible marketing and even illegal marketing. Um, but these people, if you can get them to, to listen to, to my podcast and actually, you know, present it in the same entertaining way that maybe they would, maybe not the same entertainment they get from a bar stool, but at least, you know, give them some laughs while also simultaneously educating them and, and getting them to be more price sensitive. Uh, maybe I'm just a fool for thinking that that could happen, but I think reaching some of those, a lot of that audience is there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah, well, let's give it a go in a sense. I think one thing I do have some familiarity with when it comes to Barstool is the pizza reviews. And my <laughs> way to match that would be digging into the hops. So nice. if we want to do that, Mike, two questions for you. First up, I know it's been a minute since we've had you on the show. Some big life changes, a lot of exciting things going on. Last time I saw you in person, we were at Bet Bash in Vegas. What would you say is the best beer that you've enjoyed since we parted ways from Bet Bash 2? Good question. Um, I So when I was on my honeymoon, I mentioned this to you, I came across this. We, we went to Greece when uh, my, my now wife and I, and we actually, total side story, we actually met Mo Salva in Mykonos. Uh, another story for a different day, but he was sitting at the table right next to us, like nicest guy ever, even though I'm a Man City fan uh, myself. But um, anyway, we there's were- your, There's your bar stool tie-in with the Doggy Juice pod. People have to tune in go. to get that. Especially when I tell the actual story and involved me coming out of the bathroom and recanting my- poor bathroom experience all sweaty to my wife and then i look over and mo sal is sitting right next to her and he's like here he's probably like i'm like really amused by this american guy all sweaty coming out of the bathroom and like just like <laughs> probably just a disgusting human to him but couldn't have been nicer took a photo with us and everything but um we when we were in santorini uh before mykonos um i came across this beer that just like blew my mind when we went to a bar it's this brewery called i'm gonna butcher the name uh fatelos f-t-e-l-o-s brewery based out of santorini and it's the blue monkey and i could I can't figure out if like blue because there's different types of blue monkey um so I, at first you know i even thought it was like the name of the brewery but there's like a blue monkey pilsner and there's a they have a pale ale they have um they have one called train station malt they have a double ipa malt and marvel the one i had was a pale ale and it was honestly like one of the best beers i've had in a long long time so if you find yourself out in greece for whatever reason i know a lot of people uh, went there last year if, you, if you're there this summer for whatever reason, and you find yourself in Santorini, you got to find yourself a pink monkey, or sorry, a blue, a blue monkey. Pink, monkey <laughs> pink monkey's uh, somewhere else. But um, yeah, de definitely give that one a, a try and, and seek it out. All right. I hope I can get to that deck of the woods before too terribly long, but I would have to say if I'm going to answer this same question, first beer that comes to mind, much more local to me, it's a beer called Triple Dry Hopped The Other Brian. This is a triple dry hopped, hazy, double IPA, all Citra hops, my favorite hop variety being Citra. And surprise to nobody who listens to this show regularly, it's made by my favorite brewery, Green Cheek Beer Company out of Orange, California. 
clocks in at 8.5% ABV. I know we shared some green cheek beers in the past, Mike, and I hope one day I can get one of these into your hands if they have a future batch of triple dry hopped, the other Brian in store. This is just mango to the max, a hint of pineapple, really tropical, citrusy, a nice balance as well of having a hot bite to remind you that it is still a beer. It's not a fruit smoothie, but it does go down dangerously smoothly. In fact, when I had it for the first time, it was reminiscent to me of Julius by Treehouse Brewing Company. And that's that's the flagship IPA out of Treehouse. And I've said that that's my deserted island beer. So more on Treehouse in a moment here. But to have something reminiscent of them coming out of my favorite brewery in Southern California, couldn't pass up the opportunity to give them a shout out. And we'll keep our fingers crossed for another batch of Triple Dry Hop, the other Brian, before too terribly long, maybe for Bet Bash 3. Wink, wink. So... We'll we'll see about that one, but glad we've had some good stuff to reminisce upon on the hop side of things since the last bet bash. And also looking forward a little bit, Mike, is there anything that you would say you're eager to enjoy at some point in the future from a beer standpoint? Well, what you just described sounds fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. Honestly, like anything that I can get out by you, man, like it's, you have such a treasure trove out by you. And like, I feel like I'm so fortunate to know you, like just being a, a beer guy, like you're my go-to beer guy just by default, but obviously, you know, going, doing that program you did at UCLA and, and uh, really like learning the technical side of it. Like I, I don't know anybody else that, that does that. So um, yeah, literally like just going to LA and having you just bring me whatever is probably the most plus EV thing I could do. But honestly, like Russian river, anything, anytime I can get anything from there is dynamite in my mind so yeah probably probably just going back to that and and trying something you know that maybe i've never heard of out in la because there's always like i always find something new every time i'm out there yeah when it comes to russian river i know they are up in the bay area but have plenty of distribution in la i'm so lucky in california they have just become so much more accessible i think Pliny the elder is the first beer that a lot of beer geeks think of who know russian river by name and for Bet Bash 2, we'll give that another plug. They had also canned, I think this was the first canning run ever for another beloved IPA of theirs called Blind Pig. That's one that a lot of the serious beer geeks will try to say that they like better than Pliny the Elder. And maybe it's true, but it's also just the cool contrarian thing to say to prove that you know that there's more to Russian River's repertoire than just Pliny. And, yeah. and that said, yeah, I mean, the flex move. <laughs> yeah, Pliny is phenomenal, and it is actually Pliny the Younger season out here in California. So Pliny the Elder, available pretty much year round. That's a classic West Coast double IPA. I'd say that probably goes on the Mount Rushmore of West Coast IPA. And Pliny the Younger is basically Pliny the Elder on steroids. It's a triple IPA that's basically taking the same base beer and just going nuts, supercharging it with hops. And usually it's the kind of thing that you have to line up for a lot of the better craft beer bars up and down California. will be able to announce ahead of time when they're tapping it. You can often get a ticket in advance and it's a whole production and sometimes it's worth it. It's fun to do once a year, but I just lucked out this past weekend. I was with my wife, Allison running some errands in Burbank neighboring town for us here in the LA area. And Tony's darts away. A Tony's legendary darts craft yes, beer bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've been there. That's right. They had it. it they, they had a second keg. So I had done the whole thing, line up, get it on tap. It was actually Valentine's Day. So uh, eight days ago as we record this. And we happened to be in town. Um, this would have been Monday, President's Day. And I just stopped by to see actually if they had their breakfast burrito. They do it only on weekends. They have a special brunch menu. And they do, oh man, it's up there with my very favorite breakfast burritos. And I just saw plenty of the younger on their beer menu. No fanfare, no Instagram post, nothing, you know, signage out front advertising it. 
just for the locals happened to be in the right place at the right time. And that was the kind of moment that you probably never forget about because it's so highly sought after and it just kind of fell into my lap. So hopefully I can pay it forward in a way next time we see each other. Yeah, that, that Wofford minus six and a half was there when the market was uh, consensus was eight and a half. That was the plenty of the younger. So those are the best ones, you, the ones you don't expect. Um, you know, when you walk into Tony's Darts Way, which is an amazing place in its own right, and then you're able to drink something like that unexpectedly, probably tasted a little extra sweet, I would imagine. Absolutely. And I'll say one that's also going to taste a little extra sweet coming up soon. In my near-term future, there's going to be a beer called Emperor Julius. I didn't even know this existed until a few days ago. I need to brush up on my Treehouse knowledge. But this is a hazy double IPA by Treehouse out of Charlton, Massachusetts, 8.8% ABV. And I think this beer might make you my second favorite person named Mike, who will be mentioned in this episode, because I have a good friend out here named Mike, and he gave me a can of it when I saw him this past weekend for NBA All-Star viewing festivities. It's basically Treehouse's flagship IPA, Julius, taken to the max. And even on the can, the brewery notes that it stands tall at the very top of the Treehouse family tree. So tasting notes, I'm going to say it's TBD for me as far as firsthand experience goes. Based on the Treehouse description, a lot of orange, a lot of mango, soft, rounded, insanely easy to drink. I'm going to be cracking this one on Sunday night as my ultimate prize after finishing a half marathon on the Las Vegas Strip with Allison. And I just feel like it's going to be the perfect way to start to unwind it and really celebrate the night after a pretty good run on the Las Vegas Strip Sunday evening. It's going to taste so damn good when you're drinking that one down. That's, oh, my God, that sounds so good. The way you described it, too, man. <laughs> It's it's just yeah. something about Treehouse. I don't know what they do, but it is just magic to me every time I get my hands on it. And I'll also be in Denver soon to see Bruce Springsteen. It'll be a short and sweet trip, about 24 hours. Uh, again, with Allison, I'll be thinking a lot of Dave and his fondness for Bruce and all that he accomplished later in life. I feel like Dave, if he were still with us, would be the same kind of thing. We're doing some of his very best work after the age of 60. So uh, the Molinsky Minute will be basically a, a Molinsky couple of days making that trip to... <laughs> make a big check off the bucket list and see Bruce Springsteen and the E street band in person, finally for the first time. And, uh, might, might coincidentally stumble into one or two good beers in Denver. I've heard that's a pretty good beer town as yeah, well. I think, yeah, I think you might, uh, yeah. It's one of those things you might see Bruce. And then, uh, before you know, it's the next morning and you like, Oh, how many breweries did I go to last night? Oh shoot. My flight back to LA. Oh man. <laughs> but that'll be a good problem to have. Exactly. Well, Mike, I appreciate all the ground we've covered in the way of legalization, betting process, the future of the doggy juice pod the hops this has been such a blast as always as we start to round the corner want to make sure people know that they can follow you on twitter at michael roselli also follow at doggy juice and tune in to the doggy juice podcast it's going to be coming back in a big way sooner rather than later mike want to thank you so much for your time and insight anything i'm missing or anything else you'd like to add no the only thing i want to add is i just want to give you some props here uh, props i can't give you any hops with this as well to accompany it but you deserve some props because that you know this football season's over and you moved your podcast i mean i've seen your podcast grow from day one you know even being so fortunate to be the first guest on this thing but you obviously go into multiple episodes a week the type of content you were doing all year was absolutely incredible it's like those market reports with suma and then with hitman who I, like who's a better qualitative props handicapper out there than hitman i learned so much listening to you and and the thing that your show did that that really not any other show i could think of off the top of my head does on a regular basis is you hammered down the notion of price and and how price is so important because price is everything in sports betting price is sports betting and you always had you know your 
you know, this, this plays good up to this price. And you really instilled that in your listeners. And I think more shows need to do that. And you're, you're the leader of that. So I wanted to commend you for that because it's, I think it's an important concept to get by or to get across to your, to your listeners. And you did that. So, so props to you. Wow. Thank you very much. I, I meant to toss it to you to plug anything else you had going on, but I, I will thank you and gladly accept the compliment. And it was a dream to work with Zuma and Hitman on a weekly basis this season. I, I try to do my best just to tee them up to do what they do best and get out of the way and really facilitate those conversations, probably through the same lens that a lot of the audience took. So an absolute blast to work with them. And it's going to be a blast, even though now we're going to shift gears in the off season, a once a week cadence, but plenty coming at us pivoting soon to the NFL draft, March Madness, MLB opening day, NBA, NHL playoffs, some major events in golf and tennis. So we'll see how much ground we can cover, but we'll continue to have a good time with both the props and the hops. Mike, thank you again to the audience. Thank you for tuning in. And I will catch you again next week with another episode right back here on Props and Hops. Thank you. Props and hops.